Welcome. This is Volts, and I'm your host, David Roberts. First up, a trickle of transcripts. An administrative note, many, many people have requested written transcripts of the Volts podcasts, and I want to provide them, but it's going to take a while. I could produce the transcripts in a few hours if I were willing to simply send the sound files through a robot transcriber like Otter and accept the somewhat choppy results, which are generally around 85% accurate. However, I am way too anal retentive to do that, and Volt's readers deserve better. I want to clean the transcripts up, remove all the sort-ofs and kind-ofs, delete aborted or repeated sentences, polish up the grammar so that they are as pleasant to read as they are to hear. I'm not that precious about preserving the exact original words. I'm more interested in clearly capturing meaning in readable form. That means closely copy-editing these files, some of which are more than 10,000 words long. So far, with a little help, I've gotten through one, and it took about 10 people hours of work. Here is the full transcript of my podcast with Representative Sean Caston on Hot Ferk Summer, and here's a PDF version. For those who'd like a more compact version, here's an abbreviated version running on Canary. And all you listeners will have to go to the site to see those links. Hopefully, these will get somewhat faster and easier going forward. I will let you know as they come out. Now, on to the main event. Headline 1. Pulling Tipping Points into Climate Economics just about everyone familiar with climate change has heard about tipping points. Famed climate scientist Wallace Becker first raised the possibility way back in 1987, and ever since then, they have loomed large in the climate discussion. The idea behind tipping points is fairly simple and familiar. As heat accumulates in the atmosphere, Earth's geophysical systems may not simply adjust in linear fashion alongside the incrementally rising temperature. In some cases, they may tip over some unpredictable threshold and enter a fundamentally new state, sometimes called a phase shift. Think of ice that has slowly cracked, suddenly shattering, or the straw that broke the camel's back. The commonly cited examples of potential tipping points are the Greenland and West Antarctic ice sheets. As warming has progressed, they have been shedding water and developing deep fissures. It is possible that at some unpredictable point, one or both will lose integrity and begin breaking apart altogether, irreversibly, raising global sea level dozens of feet in relatively short order. Because the consequences of some oft-discussed tipping points are rather apocalyptic, they have been used and misused for a long time in climate communications. It has somewhat annoyed climate scientists, because not only are these tipping points not a sure thing, each one is, in its own right, relatively unlikely. Civilization-ending changes are not likely, but they're not zero probability either. Legendary Harvard economist Martin Weitzman called these low-probability, high-impact possibilities tail risks and was famous for warning that economists are not taking them into account and are thus underestimating the need for rapid decarbonization. In his book Climate Shock, co-authored with his protege New York University's Gernot Wagner, 
He argued that the right way to think about mitigation is not through a cost-benefit lens, as though particular levels of spending avoid specific levels of damages, but instead as a kind of insurance. We purchase insurance to cover against tail risks all the time, not because we think they're likely to happen, but because the consequences would be so dire if they did. Weitzman has passed away, but Wagner and others have carried on this argument long enough that it has begun to break through in mainstream climate economics. However, it leaves a key question unanswered. Yes, the risk of tipping points raises the value of mitigation, but how much? It has never been quantified. Into that breach comes a new paper in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences from Wagner and a group of colleagues. Simon Dietz and Thomas Stork of the Grantham Research Institute on Climate Change, and James Rising of the University of Delaware. Economic impacts of tipping points in the climate system represents the first formal attempt to quantify the economic impacts of tipping point risks. The results are startling. The economic impact of carbon emissions is much higher than appreciated, as is the value of reducing emissions. Not that we need much more evidence, but this study makes it clear that there is virtually no way we could overdo it on decarbonization. As Wagner told me when I called him to discuss the results, I don't see a downside to doing too much too quickly. Headline 2, The Devilishly Difficult Task of Quantifying Risks The authors adopt a common definition of tipping points. Quote, Subsystems of the Earth system that are at least subcontinental in scale and can be switched under certain circumstances into a qualitatively different state by small perturbations, end quote. They included the eight that have been studied by the IPCC. Quoting here, one, thawing of permafrost, leading to carbon feedback, resulting in additional carbon dioxide and methane emissions, which flow back into the carbon dioxide and methane cycles. Two, Dissociation of ocean methane hydrates, resulting in additional methane emissions, which flow back into the methane cycle. 3. Arctic sea ice loss, also known as the surface albedo effect, resulting in changes in radiative forcing, which directly affects warming. 4. Dieback of the Amazon rainforest, releasing carbon dioxide, which flows back into the carbon dioxide cycle. 5. Disintegration of the Greenland ice sheet, increasing sea level rise. Six, disintegration of the West Antarctic ice sheet, increasing sea level rise. Seven, slowdown of the Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation, or AMOC, modulating the relationship between global mean surface temperature and national mean surface temperature. And number eight, variability of the Indian summer monsoon, directly affecting GDP per capita in India. It's important to note that these are not all possible tipping points, just the ones that have been studied. So the study's results are, as the authors emphasize, a probable underestimate, given the literature we synthesize has yet to cover some tipping points and misses possible impact channels and interactions even for those it does cover. In their survey of existing literature, the authors found 52 papers that quantified the economic impacts of one or more tipping points. But over half those were based not on geophysical data or analysis, but on highly stylized adjustments to model parameters. The authors put those aside. 
In the end, they focused on 21 papers that actually linked the geophysical mechanisms of tipping points to economic damages. The whiz-bang procedural move of the paper is to pull these different studies, many using different models with different assumptions, into a single meta-model with replicas of each studied tipping point combined in a single framework. There is a great deal of discussion of this methodology in the paper and more in an extended appendix if you're interested. The result is an ability to directly compare and to sum up the possible economic damages of tipping points. From there, applying a few conventional assumptions about discount rates and risk aversion, a model can spit out a number for the present-day costs of those future risks. Obviously, any estimate like this is going to be somewhat faux-precise, involving all kinds of assumptions and probability ranges piled atop one another, so it must be taken as provisional and tentative, subject to further research. But still, it's better than having no estimate at all. Headline 3. We are underestimating climate risks and overestimating the costs of action. As its principal metric, the study uses the Social Cost of Carbon, or SCC, meant to capture the total social and environmental damage done by the emission of a ton of carbon dioxide. For convenience, the study uses the current U.S. government SCC figure, which is about $51. There's a history behind this. Obama originally convened the working group that put the figure at around $50 during his administration. Under Trump, it dropped to about $1. Biden has bumped it back up to $51. They undid the Trump damage and went back to decade-old assumptions, said Wagner. Now there is work underway to update the SEC with better numbers. Quote, if you go to the most modern estimates and turn on the stuff we think ought to be turned on, we know that there are tipping points, we need risk aversion, we need reasonable discount rates, and so on. You don't get to $50, he said. You get to 250 I don't know if the new SCC number will be $250, but I would be shocked if it were under 150 Anyway, that's a subject for another post, because the study quantifies the relative increase in SCC when tipping points are incorporated rather than ignored. The headline result, quote, when modeled separately and then summed together, the individual tipping points increase the expected SCC by 24.5%. And there's a chart here of the effect of each individual tipping point on the SCC. As you can see, the most costly tipping points are the release of ocean methane hydrates and permafrost carbon. A couple, like the AMOC, average out to reduce the SCC. A change in the AMOC might shelter some parts of Europe from the worst effects of climate for a while, though this effect might be overwhelmed as the damages are better understood. The main thing to note is that 25% is not a small number. If we're systematically underestimating the cost of carbon emissions by a quarter, we're probably giving bad policy advice, badly underplaying the urgency of action. But another important note is that 25% is the median estimate of the effect of tipping points on the SCC. Just as with estimates of the physical damages of climate change, estimates of the economic costs of tipping points have a long right tail. These are the tail risks Weitzman warned about translated into economic terms. SCC could be higher if climate sensitivity is higher than estimated, 
if people are more risk averse, if discount rates are lower, if tipping points arrive sooner, or any number of other variables go the wrong way. What it means is there's a small but not negligible chance that we are currently underestimating the cost of carbon emissions by as much as 250% or more. If that's true, we're really giving bad policy advice, as in market mechanisms versus wartime footing. Headline four, the policy implications of tipping points. Let's take a step back and review what we can learn from this study. First, economists have more or less been ignoring tipping points, which means they have been systematically underestimating the social cost of carbon. Best estimates put the amount of that underestimation at around 25%. But that 25% is almost certainly a lower bound. The authors have built a framework that can plug in new data and analysis of tipping points as it comes along. It is almost certain that as more tipping points are studied and the interactions among them are better modeled, the estimate of their potential damages will rise. And again, remember that long tail. 25% is the median estimate, but the average estimate is 43%, and there's at least a 10% chance of 100%. In other words, says Wagner, there's a 1 in 10 chance that doing the calculation doubles the social cost of carbon. Holy shit, right? So if you start with $150, he says, there's a 10% chance you'll end up with $300 just because of tipping points. One in 10 is not that small a chance. If the chances of catching COVID were one in 10, the world would have been an absolute totalitarian lockdown for a year now. This is the significance of tipping points. We are playing with fire pushing Earth systems to the point that there is a small but real chance that some of them will break down entirely, entering phase shifts and becoming something permanently less stable and hospitable. If that happens, we will have consigned all future generations of human beings to inexorably and irreversibly deteriorating conditions. It is a crime worse than any genocide, worse than any atrocity conceived or conceivable, and even if there is only a small chance that we might stumble into committing it, we should be hyper-cautious. We should spend a lot of money to reduce that risk, to ensure against it. You might notice that we are not, as a global community or within the U.S., expending $50 a ton worth of effort to reduce emissions, much less $300 a ton worth. In that sense, this study is just one more voice in the chorus urging policymakers to go bigger and faster on decarbonization. But it does put a fine point on the fact that there is effectively no way for policymakers anywhere to do too much or to go too fast on decarbonization. The risk of overdoing it is vanishingly small, all but impossible. We are currently underdoing it. We will be underdoing it even when we're doing five times what we're doing now. We will almost certainly be underdoing it for the rest of the lives of everyone reading this. That's daunting, but it's also clarifying. There's only one direction to push, more and faster, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening, y'all. I'll see you next time.